1: Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. So excited to have you here today. PR expert Molly McPherson, known for dissecting PR disasters on social media, is our guest today. Don't sleep on this episode as Molly shares insights that comedians and actors can learn from. I instantly loved her when I first saw her videos and binged 12 episodes of her podcast, Indestructible PR. And then I showed Justina, girlfriend of the show, some of Molly's videos and Justina also instantly fell in love with her. Molly expertly dissects the public missteps of celebrities and companies, pinpointing flaws in their responses or apologies. Her delivery is precise, it's charming, easily digestible for the average person. She was a huge get for the podcast because her expertise lies in clear and effective communication, which is at the heart of comedy. If an audience fails to understand your joke or you offend someone with your humor, it's often due to poor communication. During our chat, Molly and I delve into the nitty-gritty of how James Corden, Kevin Hart, Louis C.K., John Mulaney, and others handled their PR crises. It's a fantastic conversation. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Molly McPherson. So great to talk to you. Yeah, you as well. You as well. This has been something we've been planning for a while. I'm just such a Big fan of yours. I heard you talk about parasocial relationships in a podcast episode. And I was like, I don't guess that's what we have since I know you, (laughs) but I pay so much attention to you. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this is a parasocial relationship.
2: No, well, they're all, I mean, anyone, you know, from online that you've never met in person, I mean, technically is a parasocial relationship. So we all have them. It's just a matter to what degree.
1: Yes. I don't stand you like Justin Bieber fans do. You
2: don't stand me? Oh come on, Jason.
1: I stand you. I'm
2: kidding. <laughs> I do stand
1: you. Just not the way Justin Bieber fans stand him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I get it. After this though, I don't know. Maybe you need a would you have a name for your for your fans?
2: Oh God, no. I questioning their taste. group now I don't look at it as fans because Mm -hmm. I don't look at myself as a personality I don't look at myself as a talent I -hmm. just look at myself as someone who is teaching Mm -hmm. via Mm -hmm. social media and because I talk about current events and popular culture it can be more fun and I'm all for fun so sometimes I'll definitely like put a spin on it that may come across as entertaining but I do not I I do not claim to be any sort of entertainer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you are quite funny. And that is why I started following you. When I first saw you, you were talking about the situation that James Corden was in with the restaurant stuff that for some reason that that video that you posted came up on my Instagram Explorer feed and I loved it. And started following you and watching other videos. And that same week, I listened to, I think, about a dozen episodes of your podcast. Oh, you
2: did? Oh, Jason, that's great. Thank you. Oh,
1: gosh. I i mean, I was hooked immediately because you have a charm and a humor about the way you present this stuff, but it is, like you said, pop culture. So it's stuff that's automatically interesting to me. And so, and then also... I'm not a huge James Corden fan. So when you were sort of like giving it to him, I was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, tell him he was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. so
2: (laughs) Well, it was the first time that people looked at James Corden in a different way because he was always portrayed as a affable, Affable, lovable funny, Mm -hmm. unassuming talk show host, but the people who knew, knew that there was something not too deep under the surface when it came to his personality. So that was, that was a topic right up my alley.
1: Well, not too long before that whole incident happened, I asked someone who's in the, who worked in the uh, comedy television world. And I said, who's a jerk? Like who behind the scenes is actually a jerk? And he said, oh, I think everyone knows James Corden is. And I had not heard that, but I always was sort of iffy on him because he felt like they he didn't feel like genuinely affable to me. He felt like a move, like, oh, Jimmy Fallon's big. He's affable. So let's do that thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head with those. I strongly suggest people go check out those videos and more from your Instagram and check out your podcast indestructible but you also have a book called indestructible and so pr a lot of people when they hear pr they automatically think oh it's spin oh it's helping someone lie but that's not what you do that is not your job you're not trying to help someone who did something bad look like they didn't do anything bad your job is to manage a pr crisis so is what is the maybe the better way to (laughs) define what you do
2: I had a client once ask me, you know, just recently wanted wanted to hire me because they said I need PR spin for something that happened. Mm. And I immediately told them that's not what I do. Okay. So spin mm-hmm. is just another word for me that oh, another word that comes to mind is is cover. It's yeah. deception. It's a diversion, a distraction. Mm-hmm. And that is not what I do. I like to identify it and then break it apart. So other mm-hmm. people don't do it. You know, my, my work is really rooted in honesty and trust and transparency. And when you have lost it, how you can recover it. So as you know, I look at my work as someone who works in communication, crisis communication, public relations, it, it's all about reputation, you know, mm-hmm. and gaining mm-hmm. trust. But as someone who is obsessed with news, popular culture you know, all the, you know, all the things that happen in current events, I love the merging of the two. So I do it every day in my job and my job isn't that exciting, but I do (laughs) like to, but I like to break it down, you know, online, but yeah, PR spin is not a positive term, you know, in our industry and people in our Mm -hmm. industry know that. So people Mm -hmm. who want the spin, they have to go to fixers to do that.
1: Ah, interesting. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like fixers has in more recent years become more of a known thing in Mm -hmm. the in pop culture of course they've been around for decades and right and there's
2: you know sometimes you need a fixer right Mm -hmm. like just sometimes there's a mess and you you want to clean it up and the idea of the fixer worked for many 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 years you know when we only had you know traditional media we had print we had television we had radio and then we had tabloid press Mm -hmm. it was it was just the It was just the crisis, if you will, or the incident or the issue versus the tabloid press, you know, and and reporters. So it was a lot easier to cover it. But now Mm. everyone is a tabloid reporter, you know, anyone with a (laughs) phone, anyone who has time on their hands. Right. So it's really, really difficult to hire one person to make a mess
1: go away. I am not surprised to hear that. I think you could provide an incredible insight to comedians. When it comes to online presence, and I've not heard you talk much about that from a a comedian, like the way a comedian might generally have to handle that. So I'm very excited to talk to you about some of these questions that I have. You mentioned transparency there, whether they are actually being transparent or not, that is such a part of what being a comedian is, right? It's about being honest. You're telling the truth. You're being raw. You're shooting from the hip. It's not scripted. But of course, a lot of it is, but like a stand-up comedian is supposed to be seen as shooting from the hip. Mm -hmm. Very curious as to what potential drawbacks there might be when it comes to being, for a comedian, when it comes to being a little too quick to have an off-the-cuff statement. Is that something that you would advise against in certain situations in this day and age?
2: Well, Jason, are you saying that comedians are off the cuff? Isn't it their job to know their act, but they (laughs) act like it's off the cuff?
1: Sure. But I think when it comes to the heckler videos, which I don't know if you've seen much of that, but that's become such a thing, even though some of those are fake. And then all oh, the rock. heckler
2: videos, the heckler videos, some of
1: those heckler videos are fake. So nowadays. all these
2: heckler videos that we see on TikTok nowadays and they're everywhere.
1: they're everywhere. Are you
2: saying if one is perfectly scripted, like just perfect, like could you spot a, 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 a ringer, a heckler ringer?
1: I don't know if I could, but I know some people who have. Okay. I know some comics who have been like, this is not real, but it is it is kind of hard to tell. And there are definitely some that are real, but it's the ones where the comedian isn't saying the funniest thing. The, the thing that got the biggest laugh was from the audience heckler. Mm-hmm. That is probably completely real. The ones where it's like perfectly shut down, there's a good chance that that one is not so real.
2: Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, interesting. I'm not surprised.
1: <laughs> but, I, you know, sometimes with podcasts, and social media comedians can go on there and start saying stuff and riffing, yeah. and they get a little bit farther than what they knew they were going to say. And that's when a firestorm can potentially happen where things got away from them. It's and it's harder for them to explain away because it was an off the cuff sort of statement. I remember when you were talking about Ben Affleck going on Howard Stern and doing a really open, honest. Three hour conversation. And you were saying it was a little too open for that place. And it might even be a little like when you get to a certain stage in your career, you can't necessarily ever have a conversation like that because people can just look at you a certain way.
2: Well, too true. I mean, you could, but the challenge for Ben Affleck is he is someone who's gone through a number of well known, well publicized mm-hmm. struggles. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so sitting down to open up in a freewheeling interview, you know, he's in his house. And even when he had stated, you know, as the interview came on, he said, oh, the the mic pack that you sent me wasn't working. I had to run to Walmart. So you sense <laughs> that there's a lot of complications that he really didn't plan this interview. And that's what uh, it comes down to. Uh-huh. And Ben Affleck has been involved in just so many different, we'll call them reputational challenges as well as an actor and a producer and a director. So to sit down in that type of open format with one of the most formidable interviewers mm-hmm. in Howard Stern.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, also, I do think that Howard Stern, though, be, and I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. I've been listening yeah. to him for years. I, I, You always got the sense that he was not going to let Ben Affleck hurt himself. Like, he was absolutely mm-hmm. going to give him grace throughout that interview and just make it interesting, which he did. Yeah. And Ben Affleck, in the interview, was actually really, really good. But he just stepped on it when he made – You know, the point about about his former, you know, wife, Jennifer Garner. And within context, like I understood it. I watched it when it came out. I totally Mm -hmm. understood what he was saying. But when it's a headline, I saw it, I totally knew he was gonna get quick for (laughs) it. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Because also I I understood what he meant. It was Mm -hmm. at that time in his marriage, he felt trapped. Right. It wasn't that, you know, that it was Jennifer Garner, but you know, and then When, you know, when Ben Affleck comes out then and kind of blames and then falls on this same trope of an of an excuse, which is take out of context, right? Not the public's job to put your poorly messaged phrasing into context. Right. But, you know, I understood it now. But your original question was about comedians.
1: Right. Whose job it's 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 at least to appear like you're being freewheeling. And sometimes they actually are being freewheeling, especially on a podcast. So yes. How do they manage that? Because it you know, with the with an actor or a CEO, it's it would be easy for you to say, well, don't do that. But it's not as easy with the comedian.
2: Correct. So it it depends on, you know, the level of it, too. Like if you have like who who comes in to the dialogue, you know, the the online conversation we have, you know, Dave Chappelle Mm -hmm. and he is someone that just says, I don't care. You know, they're just pushing back. You know, you have Chris Rock with his his Netflix special. He certainly was involved in a huge, you know, story that was there. When you look at comedians at that level, it you everyone knows it that is an act that has been scripted, that has mm-hmm. been worked, that has <laughs> been, you know, put out. What, what's the term? Not a trial. What is it when you when when comedians go on the road and they test their material? What is it? Test uh, run. What do uh, road they call test? it?
1: Test. Yeah, they're just yeah. working on their set. Yeah, they're
2: working on the road. They're working mm-hmm. on the set, and so by the time we see it. It's it's just short of perfection. Right. But there have been moments where comedians, and you're absolutely right, when they're performing in a small club and they don't think they're being recorded or they're on a podcast. Like one of the comedians who I mentioned in my book, in my book, Indestructible, was Hannibal Burris, who was talking about Bill Cosby.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
2: that was the case where it wasn't about him, but he and that act in Philadelphia, I believe absolutely opened the floodgates right he drowned bill cosby i mean yeah. even though people knew about it he was mm-hmm. able to control it but that right. was it and it was a viral video that you know was captured another comedian who you know i the term cancel i know people hate the term but i haven't come up with another term for it yet but who you know canceled himself with shane gillis who was all set to go on snl
1: yeah i was made, gonna bring him up yeah
2: and made the comments about i, I think it was racist yeah yes.
1: yeah and it, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and it was and it ca- in a podcast he had said several things earlier that year in a, in a podcast mm-hmm. that when people found out about it it really rubbed them the wrong way
2: yes and the mistake that he made you know at that time he he i think snl at that time was giving him a little bit of a grace period there mm-hmm. to correct it mm-hmm. because i again like people understand i usually measure this when i talk to clients and stuff all we're going for we're not going for perfection we're just going for do reasonable people believe this like we don't care Mm -hmm. about the haters but would an average reasonable person believe this and i think like shane gillis could have done it but what he did that was so bad is he doubled down on what he said yeah apologized again he did the qualifier which is a huge mistake to
1: anyone who was actually offended
2: offended exactly right he was done and snl went Okay, And they wipe their hands of him. And, you know, I don't know what's happened to him since. Like, I've never heard from this guy ever
1: since. He's not been on that level, but he's like performing at the Comedy Cellar regularly and has 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 his online presence. So he's doing all right for himself, but he's not doing SNL all right.
2: He's not. And and he may he may come around again because through time. Mm -hmm. you know people do find a way to rehabilitate or Mm -hmm. they just come back in some other form or iteration where they're accepted right but yeah he had his chance but that is a you know an example of a real high cost to not doing the apology correct as well
1: so it's basically the same it's when when you have have the moment to apologize handle it the right way Mm -hmm. okay so people will generally especially reasonable people which i love your point about I've, i've mentioned it so many times about address the reasonable person because I've seen so many public figures on on social media address the the trolls and yeah. address the wrong people and they make that the conversation it's like no just address address the people who are actually willing to listen to you so there are reasonable people out there who will say it's a comedian they're trying to push the envelope I see how they are trying to make a joke and they'll be forgiving. But when you act like an ass in your apology, you blow it.
2: Yeah. And you know what, Jason? I've never thought about it this way, but now you're you are bringing it to the forefront here. It's it's no different than a comedian. It's are you going to address a heckler? Yeah. Are you are you are you you performing for the hecklers or are you performing it for the audience of people who paid and want to see you and want to laugh? They want to be they want to be entertained by you. But if you get so caught up in hecklers, now you're not entertaining anyone anymore.
1: No, that's true. I mean, what comedians generally feel is that you should shut a a heckler down and not give them power. Like what you don't want to do, which I've heard a bunch of comedians say, is never give a heckler the mic because you're giving them power. And I think online, on social media, when people start responding to trolls, it is the equivalent to giving them the mic because now they have a bunch of power. Now they can get all of their troll-like birds of a feather flocking to this situation and now you've made it worse because you're talking about this thing in a way you really you should just be ignoring them probably
2: but speaking to your older point your previous point unless you leverage the heckler right you know and you can use it Mm -hmm. to entertain everyone so they're happy that the heckler shut down and you can entertain everyone so I guess the equivalent would be if someone does come at you Mm-hmm. and try and bring you down you could you know leverage the misinformation if you will right and and you know so other people will you know will believe that and then your reputation is unscathed i may have to use that in the future thank you jason yes explaining it i like that the heckler yes. the i just heckler. wanted to I make you proud that, time fact. yeah <laughs> love that
1: well you know it's it's the equivalent of a quote retweet versus a reply if you get into the replies on twitter then you're just getting in a back and forth with this one person. And it looks kind of silly to, especially when it's an unreasonable person that you're getting in a back and forth with. But the thing I've seen comedians and actors do brilliantly is quote, retweet it and make fun of the stupid comment. And then all their followers are just on their side.
2: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's so funny that you said that Jason, because I was actually going to do that because I had posted something this week on Twitter, which is is not my go to anymore. I Mm -hmm. I just have such problems with Twitter. But I had posted I, I did a story with NBC News about, you know, Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney. And I had shared it on Twitter. And one guy, you know, and, you know, I had all these responses, of course, you know, all great, whatever. And one guy comes in and says, oh, it's gone. Oh, Oh. I was going to. Oh,
1: oh, he he deleted it.
2: Oh, he deleted it. Oh, I'm so bummed. Oh, well, (laughs) it's probably a good thing because I was so he was he was countering something that I had said about, you know, their stock price was at a 52 week high, you know, after this whole Dylan Mulvaney, you know, campaign. And Mm -hmm. he wrote back and said, you know, the business is taking but you do you. And it was the, mm-hmm. but you do you. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. On the New York Stock Exchange, Anheuser-Busch is BUD. So if I write that, you know, so I was trying to craft this response. Uh-huh. And I said, Molly, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time on some douchebag, you know, who's getting yeah. under your skin? And, but then I thought, no, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to screen grab it. And I'm going to go to TikTok.
1: <laughs> and then I'm going to yeah. do it. <laughs> and it's that not help? even a good use of do you do you.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's exactly. Like the guy just wanted so to use clever. a phrase. It wasn't uh, even clever. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a good thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I have a question about giving apologies in an earnest way. So, is it bad to use humor in your apology? Does it. Sort of take away the sincerity if somebody, whether they're a comedian or not, uses humor in their apology in any way?
2: I love humor. I, I mean, I love it. I love when people entertain me, I love when people make me laugh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I appreciate comedians, I appreciate people who are just, you know, funny. But there is a time and a place, you know, for funny. Mm. The, uh, so the answer would be, I mean, could you use humor and apology? Of course you could. but it has to <laughs> equate. With whatever the grievance is, like, what what did you do? So humor, when you're trying to regain, you know, your, you know, your reputation or regain the trust of fans or whatever it is, you've obviously done something wrong. And Mm -hmm. humor is likely a device that will not work in most apologies because you have to admit you're wrong. However, in the self-deprecating portion of an apology, Mm -hmm. and let's say it's a lighter apology, it could work. And okay. if you ask me, give me an example. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't but think
1: of one where someone used humor so much, or or like made it like I don't even think Louis C.K. did in his in his statement. No, God,
2: back. no, Louis C.K. Yeah, you know another one. You know Louis C.K. who I liked. You know, and as yeah. he was doing, I thought, oh, come on now, you know. And he's another one who didn't have. The effective apology at that time.
1: I was going to ask that. Yeah, because
2: yeah. because also the apologies change, and and I mm-hmm. don't even know. Yeah. It's funny in TikTok land. I don't know how I became the arbiter of the apology. I I mean, all was <laughs> all everything. Everybody comes at me. How is that apology now? I suppose <laughs> that's what I crafted. I mean, I I manufactured this brand. I suppose
1: <laughs> you're very well, very good at expressing the message that you express.
2: Yeah, because I don't want to do it in a judgmental way, because mm-hmm. who am I? Like, who am I, you know, just, you know, tell to tell the world. But you like,
1: articulate it very well in a way that's just very easy for us to understand, for a lay person to understand.
2: Yeah. And I well and and how often I, I I come at it, oftentimes looking at it as someone who's heard a lot of bad apologies
0: mm-hmm. that have
2: been delivered. So I do like to deconstruct them. But something else I've noticed about apologies is and especially I'm noticing this now what is required of it has changed so much. I bet. Because Louis CK was of the hashtag Me Too generation. He was later uh-huh. in it, mm-hmm. but that's what he got stung by. Mm-hmm. And his apology was not sufficient mm-hmm. for what he did and what he right. was being called out for against women.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he had that edge to him. Yeah. So when he apologized. And I, and I'll admit, like I was a huge fan of his. Yeah. I see him <laughs> and I go, eh. Yeah. She's not that funny to me anymore because my perception of them changed.
1: Well, perception is such a big part of this. And it's, and especially when it's someone whose whole identity is, or or, I shouldn't say identity, but public persona is based on perception. And that's with actors and comedians. You take the uh, Louis C.K. situation. Mm Even when his next special came out, people were like, you know, I thought if anyone was going to do a deep dive into the psyche that they had during this situation, it would have been him and he didn't do it and they were let down. So there was still this perception of him of being that kind of guy in comedy. And he didn't bring that forth when he apologized and he didn't bring that forth when he started doing comedy publicly again. And it let everyone down. And that is such a big part of dealing with a crisis, isn't it? Where you have to say, you have to acknowledge, here's how people receive me. Here are their expectations of me. Here's the persona I want to have and have built to make money off of. And yet I still have to be transparent and honest. That's a tough balance to find, isn't it?
2: Well, I think with the the Louis C.K. problem is similar to an Ellen DeGeneres problem. Yeah. The public persona does not match the real persona. Uh. And Louis C.K., I think his crisis mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. women in particular, mm-hmm. his whole crisis, I think, revealed that the guy's an asshole.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: like in in real life, like if you met him, like this is not a likable guy. So people are easier to dismiss them. Same thing happened to Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, wait a yeah. minute. You're not the sweet, affable, funny, dory, happy-go-lucky <laughs> gal. Oh, no. You're actually kind of bitter and vindictive, and you yeah. treat your staff like garbage. Yeah. And and people don't like to be that deception. And so right. they just turn on those people. I think that's what happens.
1: Yeah. Did it kind of work with Kevin Hart? Because his he probably had an apology that does not hit the marks that you want it to hit because he was saying – did you hear? Do you remember this it was? Well, I remember him ago.
2: coming off the Oscars, right? What did Kevin Hart do?
1: Okay, this really one minor? that I'm referring to was because yeah. you're right. There was the Oscar situation, but a few years after that, video came out of some sort of sex tape situation where he's like Wait, cheating on his wife.
2: Wait, Kevin Hart had a sex tape?
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, I did not remember this. I totally forgot about this, Jason. Something
1: he said in that, and it was kind of like his main thing that he led on was, I never said I was perfect. And it kind of (laughs) worked, even though that's not really being apologetic.
2: No. And so here's a great example. And I like that example of Kevin Hart. So thank you for bringing him up. So in, in his statement, okay, so again, like you think about what he did.
0: Mm-hmm. There
2: are different degrees of a public relations crisis. And and I've been talking about them lately. And I some of them I call third rails. Like if you mm-hmm. touch it, you're just, you're electrified. Uh, yeah. It is right. impossible to get through it. But then when people start doing things or acts become public, it's there's a lot of people out there who could be accused of the same thing. Yeah, but so when you get into that world of okay, this is just like a sexual preference thing for Kevin Hart. So he, all right, he was married,
1: he mm-hmm. was
2: involved in what? What was it like? Was it more than one person? Big?
1: I think it was that it was multiple. They were like, I don't know. There was, there were other men. I don't know if there were multiple women.
2: Wait, so that's kind men? of an iffy thing. There were men in this. Well, mix? he
1: was. Yeah, he, he, it was like men waiting to have their turn I think it was like what that
2: kind of are thing. you serious okay now now you're gonna make me go down this okay <laughs> yeah. but I am looking so yeah so here here I mean just pulling this out so someone was trying to extort him when he was recorded having sex with a woman who wasn't his wife who was pregnant okay so extortion and attempted concealing okay so there's a lot of things that are going on there but you're absolutely right what Kevin Hart did so one people like Kevin Hart Right. His brand is funny, light, crazy, that, 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 you know, people love him. And so he's likable there. People don't look at him and think, oh, that guy, you know, behind the scenes, oh, he's a real jerk. How he appears on stage is probably, you know, somewhat similar to who he is. Right. But in his response, he's saying that, you know what, in a relationships, you know, they're up and downs, you know, that I have a chapter in my life, you know, like we all, it's kind of that like we all make mistakes. You know, this isn't my, you know, my shining moment. A lot of people can relate to that. So that's yeah. why they want to give you a pass. Like, oh, yeah. like how embarrassing, you know, it's kind of that there by the grace of God go I response. Right. So those are the types, you know, that work. It's very.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a quote that I often mention of Chris Rocks where he's talking about controversy. I guess some reporters mentioned oh, a controversy about something. And he said, it's not really a controversy until your fans or people who like you are offended. Mm-hmm. And I I see that because you look at Morgan Whalen mm-hmm. when the video came out of him using the N-word talking about another white guy, but still <laughs> you, he was using the N-word and his fans, they hand waved it and were like, you know, it, people make mistakes. I forgive them for it. And then he like was selling out concerts right after that. And people were saying and we could talk about cancel culture later, but. People were saying like, oh, cancel culture isn't real. But what I don't think people realize is if your fan base relates to the mistake you made, it's not a mistake to them.
2: Mm -hmm. And when you has plenty of friends,
1: right? Who Who say that word, the
2: same thing. Yeah. (laughs) So he had enough people in there to give him a pass.
1: And that's the thing about, again, we could talk cancel culture later, but I do think it's a huge part of kind of all of this. And I, I just don't hear anyone say this. It's really about how many people are paying attention to you and like you, because if you're Will Smith, the whole world knows you. The Like, like in what country do they not know who Will Smith is? Everyone knows who Will Smith is. And he's highly liked across the entire earth. He upset a lot of people when he smacked Chris Rock, but not everyone. And, and there, he retained enough people to where he can continue to make money. You think so? What he is keeps making doing? movies because they're doing, they're filming bad boys Four right now. You know, oh, are
2: they really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that.
1: Oh. They started that like a week or two ago. So okay. it's, He is, I don't think, back to where he was, but it's the same with Louis C.K. He's not back to where he was. Had he not done those things, then he would probably have directed some movie that got Oscar buzz by now. I think he was on that track.
2: Louis C.K.?
1: I think Louis C.K. was on the track to be the next Woody Allen. Are we talking
2: about the (laughs) same Louis C.K.?
1: Yeah, he directed a bunch of stuff. Okay. And he directed something since the fallout, but it was like some hard to find movie. It's not this it, you know it wasn't like a thing anyone really watched or talked about talked about. It probably wasn't in many theaters, if any theaters, you know. but he would have had more he would have had bigger and more opportunities, and it would have put him on a certain level. Like we were saying with Shane Gillis, yeah, he would have been on a certain level in the in the entertainment business just by working at SNL that he's not at right now, even though he's still like working and, and making money, but it's about the level you can stay at. And if you can still make money for people, then, or you can, or you still can retain a fan base, you're still gonna work. You're still gonna do stuff.
2: Uh, so I agree. And to bring up Louis CK is is a really good example because, you know, again, when it happened in his career, and at that time, I mean, Louis C.K., you know, was working, working, work and grind and grind and And then all of a sudden he became his trajectory was fast and high, like he really was going up. But mm-hmm. that timing of the whole Me Too, it was hard for anyone to get through it and navigate it. Right. And particularly if you really botched that apology, it was hard. You're kind of stuck there. But where we are now, it's it is shifting mm. because as a country, we're so polarized yeah, that if you do something that is whatever cancel worthy nowadays, there's going to be a segment of your audience, like you're saying, to speak to your point, they're going to give you that pass, like a Morgan Wallen. So Morgan Wallen just had to sit down for a moment. He mm-hmm. just had to, you know, go into the corner for just a little bit, and for him him to come back out. Mm-hmm. But there is room for success, and you can come back. But you look at like Will Smith for for example. Mm-hmm. I did not know that he was doing Bad Boys, but that Bad Boys Four. But that's a smart move because he's coming back in a character, mm-hmm. beloved. Mm-hmm. It is a way for people to be reminded of why we liked him, but it's mm-hmm. a character. So he's relying on a character mm-hmm. to do and that. And he
1: did with Emancipation, too, because that's come out since the slap.
2: But but the Emancipation, though, didn't, right. you know, didn't do right. so. Right.
1: It, it so. would have gotten a lot more attention, would have gotten a lot more buzz had the incident not happened.
2: Yeah, and he it was another one. He was moving hard, moving fast. Now he's winning the Oscar. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
2: it was another one of those bigger hiccups that, um, you know, that happened to him.
1: Right. I I think uh, the analogy I, I use is like if there are 100 potential fans in a room and you have a star go in there and all 100 of those people like that star, and then they have some sort of cancelable offense or PR crisis, they may lose 20 or 30 of that 100. But if you can keep 70... You're still going to yeah. do fine. But if yeah. you walk in that room and you only you get like, say, 20 to 30 people who like you and you can be like a modest success and continue to work, but you hit a big speed bump and do something, you might lose all 20 to 30 of them. And now you're legitimately canceled and people aren't ever going to see you again.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with you 100 percent. And Will Smith, what's what is interesting about him as well is he and Jada at that time, Mm-mm. and I remember the run up to the Oscars. I mean, they were becoming like royalty. they were like a yeah. a a a a plus like almost untouchable. yeah, which is probably fed into the reason why he did. He probably yeah. felt like he was untouchable. Totally but then agree. yesterday, Jada lost her show, you know, the red table talk, you know, on yeah. Facebook. So they 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 just don't have that same level that they have. so it's not that they're right. not successful. They can't, you know, right. they can't make it in Hollywood but they don't have that same level of success. But like, look at Tom Cruise. I mean, look at the crazy stuff that guy's involved in. Even Scientology, with all the problems that are happening right now, Mm -hmm. you know, with with David Miscavige and his wife. And Mm -hmm. we talk about crisis adjacent, but people love Tom Cruise. Yeah. love him. (laughs) You know, so nothing's happening to him.
1: (laughs) No, no. I mean, and he had his dip where he had a couple of movies that didn't do so well. And like the... I think the first after jumping on Oprah's couch, and and some of the other stuff that happened, like the Today Show interview, a couple of those movies didn't do well after after that. But it his it climbed back up. But he also wasn't accused of assault or anything like that, or saying something that offends a bunch of people. That's the same. You're right.
2: It was just kind of nutty. But it's. <laughs> What was during that promotional time when he jumped on the couch? Was that like Vanilla Sky? Do you remember? Like, what was he doing then? It
1: probably was Vanilla Sky era. And I feel like maybe Mission Impossible 3 was also around then. And that one didn't seem to do as well as originally expected. But then after the, maybe it was when he like really was probably at his lowest. I think it was movies like. Edge of Tomorrow or something like that that didn't do as well, but then people are like, "Hey, that movie's actually pretty good." Okay. <laughs> and everyone yeah. started talking about him again, and then the Mission Impossible movies were just getting better and better. And people were like, hey, "You know what? I don't care." He's Exa- awesome.
2: well. That's if you're in entertainment <laughs> and people invest in you because they love, you know, whatever whatever movie franchise you're in or whatever character. Like people love Tom Cruise as a very mm-hmm. specific. Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. He's either Top Gun, Mission Impossible. (laughs) That's it. But when we hear him (laughs) trying to marry Scientologists or, you know, try and get Catholics to Scientology or Will Smith hitting someone when they're when they Mm -hmm. when they're off brand, we don't like it. We don't like it. So maybe for entertainers, that's how they get back into the good graces. They just go back into the lane.
1: Right. And it's, you know, the offense can't be that strong. And I mean, maybe it's also a perception thing, too, because people are already sort of like, oh, Holly weirdos, Hollywood weird people. And and that all of his incidents fall right under that category. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who defended it, defended him because they're like, it's his religion. Like, don't touch religion, leave people's religion alone. So that, I think, kind of cushioned his fall a lot and allowed him to bounce back easier. But when you go on national television television. Also, there was a mystery about him. People didn't necessarily know a whole lot about him. But with Will Smith, everyone treats him like he's their buddy. And maybe it was because of the difference between a someone who got famous in movies first versus someone who got famous in television first. Because mm-hmm. I've heard like George Clooney talk about how Mel Gibson at the time, who he was still in People's Good Graces, he was saying, people will see Mel Gibson and just point and be like, "That's Mel Gibson over there." They won't approach him, but with him, people would go up. And this is post Ocean's Eleven. People would go up, go, oh, child's going to put an arm around him." And it's because of all those years in television that he spent being in people's homes in a in a more, I guess, intimate way. And so, I think that's a part of Will Smith's thing is that people feel like he's their best friend or their brother. He's like he's got that vibe. And then he goes out and he hits somebody. I, I mean, it's just too messy and changes the way people look at him too much.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but he's, if people, he's if he was looked at back. as a
1: jerk, if it was yeah. Russell Crowe, then I, I don't, maybe people would be like, that's horrible that he did that. But people maybe wouldn't have been as outraged.
2: Yeah, because it's they expected a of on them. brand. They would expect that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's
1: such a weird thing about this, too. How much when you are, Working with someone who's a public figure, do you have do you do put all of that into account or are you generally saying, here's what you need to express?
2: Oh, without a doubt. When I worked with someone in television, they had a brand, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we were discussing, well, what? So they had an issue that they had to address, but they still want a career in entertainment. Mm-hmm. So the discussion became, well, what is your brand? What do you represent? You know, who mm-hmm. are you? And it's the same idea of the Will Smith, the, the Tom Cruise. Not that I was speaking to someone at that level by any means, <laughs> but people like, you know, fans like personas, you know, mm-hmm. brands, whatever mm-hmm. your persona is. So, absolutely, but when it comes to entertainment, but entertainment's different than politics and business, though you're going to use all of the same tricks. Your bag of tricks may be the same but it's that expectation people paying $17 to you know for a ticket online and popcorn they're going to do that to sit and watch Ben Affleck in a new movie
1: mm-hmm. but
2: a politician they don't care so that's right. why i think the entertainment industry is just a little bit different
1: yeah who in the entertainment industry do you think botched their apology the most i
2: this is only like confirmation bias just because or timing bias because of the ones who come top of mind. But, you know, definitely Ellen DeGeneres 100 hmm. percent botched it. Even, you know, Bill Cosby along the whole way. Oh, he, you know, I mean, he, he was. Did botched. he even
1: really a, a, issue an he, apology? I it his
2: wasn't an apology, but I don't just look, even though people associate me with apologies. What hmm. interests me more is not the apology. I How love, they address I it. love the moves. Mm. I love seeing what the moves are. That's my favorite thing is. Oh. Okay, why are you saying what you're saying right now? What's mm-hmm. coming out tomorrow? You know, that's what I love to see, and then to see if it works or not. So, like a Bill Cosby, for instance, you know, he had a, he had legal issues, so it's not mm-hmm. as if he could come out and say, "Sorry, I raped you, one hundred women," you know, right, right. I could say here allegedly, but he was charged with it. But well, when it started to gain momentum. And why these things gain momentum is when people don't address it or they they don't address it adequately. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps steamrolling on them. And then it's hard. Uh, well, that's
1: a like move that remember. a lot of comedians use is just ignore that. I think we can ignore that. I think John Mulaney has done a good bit. He's <gasps> not really.
2: John Mullaney. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So John Mulaney. Talk about a topic in my house 48 hours ago. Oh, yeah. Was John Mulaney because I watched his Baby J special. Baby
1: J. And it was filmed in Boston, which is where you are. Yeah.
2: I know. And I was supposed to see him with his at, at the first swing of the tour. And I, I ended up, you know, not going for various not funny reasons and more <laughs> annoying reasons. But anyway, uh, but yes, I was going to go see him in Boston and it was super expensive. So when I saw that they mm-hmm. were filming the Netflix special, I thought, I don't want to see it with all the cameras. I'll just see it on Netflix. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I so I was watching it with my kids, you know, with my two seniors in high school. And I, we're huge John fans. I said, is it me? But he looks awful. Like he looked awful, right? Like he looked rough. And my son was saying, well, mom, I mean, this is what, you know, rehab, like this is all caught up to him. I said, insightful. But the whole time I'm listening and laughing because I'm a huge John fan. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, is this working? What the, like he even kind of looked rough. And in my mind, I thought, Is this intentional? And Jason, you're going to think I'm weird, but this is how my brain
0: works.
2: (laughs) So I saw a suit. So he's in beautiful, like where he was in Boston. Absolutely. So the lighting was phenomenal. His suit was almost like this candy cane, reddish pink at the top. It looked phenomenal. I love the suit, but it was a little ruffled, little wrinkled, right? So it's over two nights that they were filming. So sometimes it looked rough, like his hair kept falling down. Right. And it was, yeah, it, his it was hair a was little off, long. Right?
1: Yeah. And he and, he has like some bags under his eyes now. And
2: you know. he had the bags. He looked rough. And so in my mind, I'm thinking how much of this is intentional. And if it is, it's kind of smart. Or maybe he looked bad. And someone saying, hey, you know what, John, you don't look good. And then someone said, you know what? No, look like you've kind of lived through it. So in my mind, because I'm a huge John fan, I'm mm-hmm. thinking someone said to him, Hey, John, let's be a little more raw on this one because yes, it was a comedy show. Yes, it was streaming and he's making money because God knows <laughs> the tickets were crazy expensive <laughs> when I wanted to go, <laughs> but it really wasn't typical John Mulaney. Of all his shows, it was probably the least funniest. Oh,
1: How really? Aggro-
2: oh, I think, it w- have you seen it?
1: I I saw it last night, I laughed a lot, but I, okay. it's, it is.
2: It, it's different though, wouldn't you tough agree? Stuff.
1: Yeah, it's tough yeah, stuff, sure. so
2: it's very funny. Mm-hmm. But it was the least funny because it's not the persona that we love about John Mulaney. Mm. But he, ha- but he had to do it. He had to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love. So I'm sitting there entertained. But I thought, no, strategically, I work for John Mulaney. This is the special I'm putting together. It's mm-hmm. funny. He went on the road with it. A lot of mm-hmm. people saw it. They laughed. It was very it was sharp. So sharp and yeah. so serious. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was great. So his next one that he does. He can come back to being the John Mullaney we love.
1: Well, he had the I don't want to ruin if no one's heard it, I don't want to ruin the line, but I mean he had this amazing line in it that is probably the biggest gut punch he's ever said in one of his specials of like, Tell you're me. gonna cancel John Mullaney. <laughs> I'll kill him.
2: <laughs> yes. An amazing,
1: amazing line
2: it was and my ears perked up and even yeah. my kids looked at me like and there it is mom i'm like exactly and that's how i was looking at him from that point on and, and so you bring up so jason this is so timely because you're talking about comedians comedians though do have vehicles and devices to come yeah at, they do you know because when you're on, on that level yeah when you're on it's, that level exactly. it's
1: moves i don't think a lot of people realize that and it's not necessarily a bad thing to have moves because it's when you're releasing something you want to release it in the best set of circumstances as you can. And you have to make choices. You have to make choices down to the costume and the hair and the lights and all of that. And you do, you are dealing with public perception and comedians are responding to and talking about public perception and where the pulse is and what the temperature is in the room. They are responding to all of that stuff. When they're doing any of this,
2: when you were watching it, what Mm -hmm. so John Mulaney tackled the whole drug abuse like he just laid it out explained it okay Mm -hmm. but what didn't he talk about in that whole special or make a joke about
1: his wife his ex-wife
2: yeah and that's really the worst part of what he did it it is it's Mm -hmm. not the drugs right because again people are drug addicts people suffer from addiction Mm -hmm. it happened a lot everybody knows someone right it's Mm -hmm. one degree if it's not one it's at least two degrees Mm -hmm. So again, like reasonable people can understand, like John Mulaney had addiction problems, Mm -hmm. but what he didn't address is, oh, you mean when you cheated on your wife and you had a baby with Olivia Munn? Like, that's the part which really is the dagger into his reputation. And in that special, he didn't touch it. But that's what I thought was so interesting in that special.
0: He didn't even
2: touch that because that's the worst sin. It's Mm -hmm. not that he went to rehab.
0: Right, right. he did
2: with his wife who people felt, you know, they were like Hmm. this beloved cute couple. So. Anyway, but it worked. I loved it. I love yeah. it. Yeah.
1: But so he didn't have the worst. Who who did you think had the worst response out of like an actual, I guess, I, I mean, I guess you said Bill Cosby had a pretty um, bad one. I don't
2: know. Like in the entertainment biz, I, I, this is yeah. hard. Like it, I would have to sit, you know, yeah. cocktail with me. My brain would open up in a different <laughs> yeah. way. But Maybe one changing, day. Though. It's all changing though. That's the thing. Sure. It is 100% changing
1: when it comes to like because you are trying to control a narrative and control your image or even build an image when you go into the entertainment business so how can a comedian do that and it feel authentic like it should feel
2: well you know well you know a comedian and you know this better than me definitely i mean i certainly know comedians but You know, the whole idea of an act is usually built around this idea of you. Right. It's Mm -hmm. you are just heightening and making parts of your life incredibly entertaining. You know, everybody Mm -hmm. has Mm -hmm. their own shtick, if you will. And when you so that's why watching like Chris Rock, for instance, Mm -hmm. in that Netflix special, he was not at ease on stage watching Mm. that. He just, I don't. Well, you must have seen it, right?
1: I did. I watched it live, and I thought it was great. But I know what you mean. There was a little. He's always had an edge. He's always He's always that guy who's stalking the stage. But he never had to address something that was so public and embarrassing before. And I feel like that. I didn't feel like it got to him because I thought it was a. I thought he was brilliant with this with the special. However. That was just a, a, a wrinkle there that he's never had to deal with before.
2: He's never had to deal with it. And it was it was humiliating for him, like, you know, it's yeah. just completely demasculated. But but he just seemed not at ease. And it was as if he knew the joke was coming or he had to address it. And it was like his yeah. nerves you know, yeah. got the better of them. But I listened to, like, I listened to Dana Carvey and David Spade. And I, yeah. I actually just saw David Spade in Boston. And so when they were talking about Chris Rock and that behind the scenes, it, it rattled them. So it sounded like it rattled them, but it just appeared on stage. He seemed a little rattled because you're right. Mm. He stalks the stage. He's a pro. He's just is this brand. But mm-hmm. that incident and and maybe part of it, too, was streaming live on Netflix, I think, would make maybe. anyone nervous.
1: For sure. Cause usually they do a couple of nights so they can take different clips from it. Yeah. Uh yeah. Very interesting.
2: The comedians are great though, because they yeah. uh, you know, they're they're more real. They're mm-hmm. more raw. So I don't mm-hmm. think they're as they're as subject to the same rules and scrutiny because people mm-hmm. want to be entertained by them. So there's Especially no Especially when they're
1: referring to, to a joke that offended them, that offended people. Yeah. Like if it's like, well, I I make jokes for a living and you know, like I, I feel like Comedians pretty consistently don't want to apologize for jokes. They do sometimes if they feel like, okay, this did cross a, a line.
2: Do, do you have an example of someone?
1: Sarah Silverman did years ago when she was on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So that's how long ago it was. And she, sh- she told a joke that was supposed to be kind of...
2: Was it a God joke or something?
1: No, it was a race-related joke. And... You know, she it, she just ended up stepping over the line like it was. I don't want to repeat the joke because it uses a slur, but she was basically setting it up to to be like just because it's hard to talk about without giving specifics. So the joke was I had jury duty and I wanted to get out of it. And my friend said, why don't you just say something racist like I hate, you know, ethnic slur. I won't say the mm-hmm. word. And you're like, yeah. well, I don't want to say that because I don't have a problem with them. So I'll say, I love ethnic slur. And she told that on the show. And, you know, there's some like people who like dark humor who got into that and laughed. But uh-huh. it it upset a lot of people of that race. And they said something about it. And she apologized. And, and Conan also apologized. And they had, I think, a good apology for that time of just like, hey, you know, this did go too far. And Conan was like, you know, it's it was it's on me because I should have cut it out. Mm. I'm sorry. So they, they handled it very well, but people will bring stuff like that up 12 years later. Where, and it's like, yeah, but they were joking and they apologize for it. And, it. and so I guess in those sort of instances, maybe it is better to ignore. But when the the first offense happens, address it and you know, address it as well.
2: Well, and and Sarah Silverman, and also I love Conan O'Brien. I absolutely love Conan O'Brien. I do too. He's my hero.
1: I got a quote of his behind me. Yeah.
2: He's my hero. Where's the Conan O'Brien quote?
1: If you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen from his uh, final tonight show.
2: Oh, okay. All right. The Uh, moment
1: he became my hero was him saying that. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I thought it was very big of him to, instead of just taking shots at everybody, he said, Don't be cynical it's my least favorite characteristic and not everything in life is going to work out the way you wanted it to. Mm -hmm. But if you work really hard in your kind, then amazing things will happen. And I just thought, what a great message to send people who were watching this because he could have been petty. And I think one of the big problems in our society is how petty people are. And I was, I just loved the fact that he was big enough to say, I'm not gonna be petty. And I'm a, actually, I'm gonna tell people not to be petty. I'm gonna tell them to work hard and be kind and not expect things to work the exact way they want it. Cause that's just not life. I just thought that was such a nice message to send.
2: Yeah, and at that time, I mean, think about all those late night hosts when all of that was shaking down. Mm-hmm. You're right, Conan O'Brien, in my opinion, came out looking so good in that entire situation, because who doesn't love Conan O'Brien? I mean, probably people who may not like his humor, Mm -hmm. but just a nice likable guy. Mm -hmm. Also very open with his vulnerability, just in terms of, you know, mental health. He's been very open about that. Mm -hmm. Just clever, smart, witty, allows people to be funny on his show. So when he was given that, when he was given The Tonight Show, you know, everyone's excited, but then look what it did to Jay Leno. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: here's another example. I mean, Jay Leno still went on, you know, he came back to Tonight Show, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, got the advertising dollars. People liked him. He had mm-hmm. his Jay's garage, but he never achieved what he was. He was like, be- Jay Leno was beloved. He was just this affable, mm-hmm. beloved guy, mm-hmm. but he didn't recover from that. He never, ever recovered from that.
1: Not nice full persona. Yeah. I mean, it's the people who liked him still liked him and watched the show. And it, he, when he came back, it was number one again, but he didn't gain a new audience because that was the perception of him was that he was a vindictive person
2: well like you said vindictive and petty so you would know this better than me so you work in comedy you're a comedian but i think the bigger hit for like a jay leno he's got all the money in the world he has yeah. all the money in the world right mm-hmm. but i think it's not about you know coming back to tonight's show and having it for x amount of years after that but that he took the reputation hit where he didn't have the same image that he had before right and then he that he looked bad in people's eyes and i think comedians i'm not gonna say this about all of them <laughs> we always hear about you know the sad clowns mm-hmm. and they are so con you know many are consumed about how their audience feels about them and if mm-hmm. they feel that they've lost an audience or lost the room so to speak right it takes them into it like a, a tailspin but mm-hmm. like a conan o'brien who said all right i'm gonna walk away from nbc I'm going to do my mini tour, which he did. He got all that love, you know, when he went out on tour, he saw, oh, people love me. Came back to TBS, which at the time people are thinking it's cable, but then Conan made it Conan.
0: Right. You, know, you didn't realize and he that it. you were
2: watching it. Yes. And he <laughs> yeah. owned it. So and now you look at Jay Leno and poor Jay Leno. When's the last thing we heard about him? The guy, you know, he got yeah, burned, yeah. you know, burned, yeah. but like, look at Con- Conan O'Brien. So you're absolutely right. Living up to his last quote.
1: I I just love them. I love it. I want to talk about, for a second, I know we're we're running out of time here, but I just want to bounce an idea off of you about cancel culture. I'm wondering if, because if, it seems like several years ago, many years ago, that people or companies, if some client of theirs or somebody who works for them had a cancelable offense, companies would have a knee-jerk reaction and get rid of that person, and it's all because of the firestorm on Twitter. Like James Gunn getting fired as the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And these conser- this conservative group brought it up again, even though he had addressed it a couple times previously. And so because it became this big firestorm, Disney fired him. But then they changed their mind and they hired him back. Mm-hmm. Are companies now starting to adjust How they address these things by looking at who is offended and where are they talking about this? If they're only talking about it on Twitter, maybe I don't need to worry about it. Is that something happening now?
2: Yes and no. It's changing. And I was reminded of it this morning when I saw the testimony of the woman who accused Trump, former President Trump, of, of rape. And I so this is this is how my brain works. You know, I'm up at 430 in the morning Mm. because my brain won't stop. But I don't get out of bed because I feel like it's still resting. But I was reading, you know, the uh, Washington Post and what prompted her to speak out against Donald Trump was the hashtag, you know, me, too. And it made Mm. me think we don't we're not canceled by hashtags anymore. Like a hashtag has been de-weaponized like it does not Mm -hmm. have the power it once had. Right. Yeah. So so the the metric, if you will, for measurement for a cancel culture is, is changed. We can't get, we can't, a hashtag doesn't do the job anymore. Mm. What I think is happening is the, so the, the ratio, if you will, the cancel ratio, if your talent and the desire for your talent and the desire for fans to want you outweighs the offense, you will get through it. You will get through it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned is it being at the helm of a movie that's going to make a billion dollars? <laughs> Another example would be like Leah Michelle from Glee, yeah, who was cast aside for I think she was in the cancel corner mm-hmm. for a couple years, mm-hmm. but Funny Girl comes out, yeah, it it didn't. People wanted her in it. They did mm-hmm. not give it to her because probably she was a tainted brand, but people wanted her in that role, and mm-hmm. so she's she's uncanceled. So right. that's where we're going now is I think if people's talent outweighs it, so Will Smith,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, you know,
2: and it's also if someone does something that hurts, harms, exploits, mm-hmm. like Jonathan Majors, for instance, right. like here, he's in Marvel, like Marvel, the people, they're untouchable, right? Well, but when you put your hands on your girlfriend and you're accused, you know, of roughing up your girlfriend, that's hard to recover from. And right. then his lawyer... You know, blame the victim, botched yeah. it. He could have worked his way through that. If yeah. that if his fixers didn't say, Hey, let's blame the victim. Let's say she's emotionally yeah. unstable. We're gonna get you through this. Anyone mm-hmm. could have predicted that. And yeah. in, and that's why it didn't work for him.
1: Oh gosh. Whereas with Ezra Miller, because people are comparing well, those yeah, two look, situations.
2: Oh, great, great counter. Ezra Miller.
1: Could yeah, come back.
2: Why? Yeah. They went to the cancel culture, went the cancel corner. Went uh, to rehab, took the break.
1: Right. And people were just excited about that movie.
2: Yes. Yes, exactly. Like
1: people were just really want to see Michael Keaton as Batman again.
2: I do. I was watching Spotlight with my daughter last night right, and I said, right. oh, Michael Keaton. I said, that's my guy. And she's like, "Ew!" I said, Quinn, I'm old. I, right. This is what old women do. We we,
1: <laughs>
2: we lust after older men. Oh, yeah.
1: he's awesome. He's awesome. Well, oh, I, could I loved talk him, him in
2: Batman. Loved oh, he's him. So great. Yeah.
1: And everything
2: so good
1: i could talk to you for a million years i would like to but we can't we just who has the we time can't
2: because you know what because i have to get a crisis thing a crisis statement right. to a client i got instead of having a fun conversation about entertainment and people like being canceled i gotta go back to the real world of it
1: okay well can we create something real quick together to finish out this episode to explain to people what they can do in managing a crisis they have to address an offense what would you say are the bullet points they have to hit
2: well i mean naturally you have to be a super a global superstar you have to be Mm -hmm. cast in top gun (laughs) 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 you just got to go on the road you got to get a show on tbs (laughs) no but you know you really can look at if there is a playbook there i mean Mm -hmm. look what works i mean what you and i were talking about and jason i love that we were talking about it along the lines of looking at the sector of entertainment and comedians you know people who the you know fans want them to Mm -hmm. you know survive you know so to survive it so in general i think this is where we're going one if you're a likable person and you tell the truth and you're honest and you just like the kevin hart Mm -hmm. you just kind of admit you know what happened if there aren't legalities involved in it, right. people will accept it. If they want you to get through it, they will get you through that. So you have to acknowledge it, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you, you know, you just have to own up to what you did. And, and that's what Will Smith did not do. He did not own mm-hmm. up to, you know, abusing someone on stage yet. Kevin Hart said, yeah. Okay. So there was a tape. I was, you know, wasn't a great guy. So you have to own it. And then the second piece of it is now you're setting expectations. So if, Will you do it again in the future? Like, will I disappoint you or let you down in the future? Mm-hmm. Like John Mullaney. His explanation really was a comedy special. <laughs> but, you know, that's the genius of it. And he brought people back and said, okay, I'm not going to let you down. Okay, I'm going to be the guy, you know, who you like. So if you want to look at it from an entertainment sector point of view, it's just be genuine, be authentic, and be who people expect you to be. But, mm. you, but if you lie and you try and get out of it, they're not going to let you do it so or they, if you try and bully your way through it you know and you just look like a jerk or yeah you people aren't gonna well just move on there are plenty of other people to be entertained in this world
1: and a ton of people back themselves into a corner and try to punch their way out and just bully yeah. their way out and it doesn't ever work very well no we saw it with gina carano with the uh, yeah i mean she just well like, has she
2: been hired since all that
1: Nothing that is of the level of the Mandalorian.
2: No, no.
1: You know, no. And, and maybe she'll get back to that maybe one day. I mean, who knows? But I mean, she picked a fight. She bullied people. People were not rude to her. And she tried to act like she was the victim in the situation and then doubled down and mocked people. And it's like, yeah, you screwed up. If you created this entire incident and then yep. you didn't manage it well at all.
2: Hey, Jason, thank you for saying this. And I know we're leaving, but now I am going to use this because you're absolutely right. People don't like bullies.
0: right? They
2: don't like bullies. And that is a new thing, like very TikTok-ish, because when people capture people being bullies
0: mm-hmm.
2: on video, it's very, very difficult to come away from that. And that's a big thing, like in the hashtag, you know, mm-hmm. back in the hashtag days, you're just looking at a hashtag and people telling a story, but now people see it. people do not like bullies yeah
1: now if only people on the internet would stop being bullies i know against people like us right
2: yeah exactly (laughs) we just ignore them there are hecklers right
1: right there it is thanks so much for being on the podcast this was like one of my favorite conversations
2: jason i'm so happy thank you so much this was a lot of fun and you you got me thinking i wish it could be funny i mean i wish we had an hour of comedy (laughs) not in the comedy biz like
1: you oh my gosh i love her so much if you do too listen to her podcast indestructible pr wherever you get podcasts Get her book, Indestructible, and follow her on Twitter at Molly B. McPherson, on Instagram at Molly.McPherson, and on YouTube and Twitter at Molly McPherson. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes, on Instagram at Jason Far and on TikTok at Jason Far Talks. Also, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info, links, and bio. Until next time, be good to each other.
2: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is
1: podcast is produced by Jason Farr.